The world, and especially the United States, is remembering the 50th anniversary of man walking on the moon. So what's the church's relationship with science, and does the church have a take on life on other planets? Summer is here, and summer means weddings for many couples. What are the do's and don'ts for weddings in the Catholic Church? More than 300 teens wrapped up a community event in Pasco and Hernando counties where hearts were changed. And a miracle has been approved by Pope Francis. All this and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Greetings again, Bishop. John, always good to be with you. Always good to be here at the office. You know, this week, we're celebrating here in the United States a big anniversary. And and as this show airs, it's the 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing. Have you ever been to the Kennedy Space Center? (laughs) I I sure have. Uh, It's been a while. I think it was when I was in my teens. Right. Uh, I visited there last and remember it being a a very interesting uh, visit. And I think we take interest in it because it's... um, almost beyond our imagination to think about leaving this world uh, and going up into space. And as you're right, this year we, we celebrate that 50th anniversary of the Apollo mission when we landed on the moon. Now, John, I have to say, I'm not one of the conspiracy, uh, conspiracy right. theorists who believe that it was staged. Capricorn I, I, One I, <laughs> movie. <laughs> I do believe that uh, we actually did land on the moon. And what an extraordinary event and achievement that was for us. You and I were both little kids when that happened. So my, my children asked me, do you remember what happened? I really don't, but I, I see the effects of what it, it brought. A lot of tang in my lunchbox <laughs> uh, or in my thermos. We all wore shirts and we had Apollo lunchboxes and everything had to do with space exploration. Yeah. Society has changed over the last few years. The government has gotten out of the shuttle program, but now we're seeing private entities launch rockets. And I think... The, this is bringing about a new interest in exploration. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, I Just to put it in context, I think I was five when we landed on the moon yeah, I was three, back so, in 1969. Yeah. So I uh, don't have many memories of that, but have been grateful for the coverage uh, that I've seen recently in the last couple of weeks uh, leading up to this anniversary. And you're right, there does seem to be a renewed interest. Government has ceded a lot of that to private corporations, like the SpaceX program and so forth, which is kind to our budget, but we're kind of dependent on others then to advance the cause. I I think, John, it's part of maybe our human nature to wonder, is there life beyond this world? You know, we know God created the earth. Well, that's where I was going with this, is what is the church's stance on that? Yeah, so the church, of course, considers science and things like space exploration to be a gift. There's no opposition to our teaching there, just in principle alone. There is a relationship between faith and reason or faith and science, but we don't believe that they're opposed to each other, but rather that they enhance each other when they work together. So uh, we believe that we can't come to know everything just by reason alone. For example, the existence of God. You can't prove that by science or by, but you can through the gift of faith. You know, you can come to know God and to see his footprints and fingerprints uh, in our world today. The effects of God, I would, I would say. Exactly. You can see his presence in our world. So uh, faith and reason work together to help us to grow in our knowledge of God 
and of his creation. And in fact, uh, St. John Paul II wrote an encyclical or a major writing called Fetus et Ratio uh, during his pontificate, Faith and Reason. And it was a very long and somewhat complicated treatise on the relationship between the two. So does the church have a position or is it open to saying that life exists on other planets? Well, we, we can't make a definitive statement about that. Of course, uh, that's a case where we do rely on the, um, on the science and, and the space exploration. But I don't believe it would be in opposition to anything in our faith if there was life or existence of life somewhere else in the universe. So the church, I guess, over, over time in history has relaxed its stance, whereas before it would, it would not want to accept scientific discovery. You know, there's the famous Galileo case, uh, even things with— um, Organ transplants were a big issue uh, not too long ago. Yeah, I would say that there's been a development in our understanding over the centuries, and you cited a couple of examples of that. Uh, Again, when the church, or specifically the Holy Father, the Pope, speaks on subjects, he's obviously speaking on issues of faith and morals in a definitive way. He's not really speaking about the scientific aspects sure. or making, you know, infallible statements about certain scientific things, you know. Mm-hmm. So we always have to remember that. Mm-hmm. He's a theologian. He's the Pope. He's not a, a scientist. Turning the subjects now, it's summertime. A lot of weddings take place during the summer because it's easy for family to come into town. School's not in session. There are certain things about getting married in the Catholic Church that you sort of have to abide by and respect when it comes to that. Some couples come into the church and say, we want to get married here, and the priest might say, whoa, we've got to go through some steps. And then the people say, well, I don't want to do that. We just want to get married. Why do we have to go through the steps? The reason would be that we consider marriage in the Catholic Church to be a sacrament and therefore something very important and very holy and hopefully meaningful to the couple who's entering that marriage. So as a church, we want to make sure that the couples who approach us to be married in a sacramental way are as well prepared and spiritually prepared to live out that sacrament in their lives. Of course, marriage has been around for millennia, right? Sure. Even, you know, we read in, um, you know, the accounts, the narrative accounts of um, our Lord's birth about <laughs> Joseph and Mary. So there were Jewish traditions and customs of how couples would get married at that time. But it was Jesus Christ who raised that to the dignity of a sacrament. So if a uh, couple decides they want to get married in a church, two Catholics that are going to get married, uh, it's pretty obvious they decide on what parish they want to go to. Some people don't like the look of their church, so they want to go to uh, the cathedral or, you know, Sacred Heart in Tampa. What's the rule on that? Is is that up to the individual parish hosting that? So we believe as a church that the most appropriate place for a couple to get married is in a Catholic church or basilica or chapel, you know, because it is a sacred space, and it's where we celebrate the other sacraments of our faith. Most importantly, baptism, which opens us up to the life of grace and sacraments. So um, if somebody wanted, for whatever reason, to be married at a church that's different from their parish church, uh, that's permissible. There's no objection or any reason why they couldn't do that. We're grateful that they want to get married at a, in, in a church as sure. opposed to uh, in a park or at the beach or what, some other location. Yeah, and what's the, what's the rule with that? They, they say, Father, we grew up here in the parish, but— we want to go get married at the beach. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people will often refer to things like that as you know God's cathedral, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not a physical building, but uh, rather just just the beauty of nature. That's something that can happen, but it's it requires permission, and it's for specific reasons only. So, for example, just to give you an example of one case where I've seen it approved, would be if you have the case of a, a Catholic who's marrying somebody of the Jewish faith. Okay. or even of the Muslim faith. So a mixed? Mixed marriage, and it would be perhaps offensive for the other person and their family to come into a Catholic church, you know? That might be a case where we could grant permission for them to be married at a hotel or at another location. But those cases are rare. What about I'm Catholic and the person I want to marry is not Catholic, and she's insistent that I get married at the synagogue or the Lutheran church or whatever— how does that, what do I need to do as a Catholic to have that validated, or yeah. is it? Well, it, it could be. Again, that would be a complete dispensation from what we call the form of marriage, which is if they weren't being married by a priest or a deacon, would require a special dispensation for that to take place. So, in other words, the church would recognize that marriage if they receive the dispensation, but they would have to go through the marriage preparation process in the Catholic Church and then receive that dispensation. I'm throwing a lot of what ifs because, uh, frankly, I had to go through this. I grew up Episcopalian. My wife was Catholic, but I wanted, like, my pastor, who I grew up with, to be part of the ceremony. So if the male Catholic is marrying the female non Catholic and they get married in the non Catholic church, could Father Brown from, from wherever come to the non Catholic church and be part of the ceremony? And, and, have it there. Yeah, he he could be part of the ceremony, but let me draw a distinction. Marriage, the sacrament of marriage, is the only sacrament where the priest or deacon, in this case, does not impart the sacrament upon the couple. It's actually the couple that imparts it upon themselves. The role of the priest or deacon is primarily to receive the vows of the individuals and then to provide them with a blessing. So if a a minister from another denomination or congregation wanted to be part of it, they could perhaps maybe do a reading, they could perhaps say a few words, but generally they would not be permitted to receive the vows of the couple in a Catholic church. Okay. Now, I want to go back to something you said a little bit ago. You mentioned a basilica, a cathedral. What about a shrine, like a designated shrine? Can they or no get married at Yeah, that's really up to the shrine itself. Um, It could be a place that is designated for weddings. My experience is that many shrines are not because it's not a parish. It doesn't have the function of a parish, and one of the functions of a parish is to marry people. Right. Um, So it's more of a place of pilgrimage. But our our basilicas, our shrines, they're they're very beautiful, so people would like to get married there, but it's often discouraged or, or not even allowed. And I think part of that, doesn't that have to do with record keeping too? Like with a parish? Yeah, I mean, again, since a a shrine is not a parish, they wouldn't keep sacramental records there. If a sacrament were to occur at that location, it would be required that the sacrament be recorded at the nearest parish to the the shrine. So if you have questions, if you're thinking about a lot of engagements take place over the summer, and then people get married the next year, 
If you're in that situation, the best thing to do is contact your local parish priest or contact the Diocese of St. Petersburg and talk to the Chancellor about it. Sure, or check our website at dosp.org. We do have a section there on marriage, and it goes through our teaching on marriage and some of the things that we ask that you do in order to to be married in the Catholic Church. A lot of marriage prep goes into it, things that couples, they they have stars in their eyes about getting married, but they, they don't realize what goes into who's running the checkbook, who's taking care of this and that, whose family are we going to visit on certain holidays. And those are real practical things that come up in marriages that can frankly cause consternation, I'll say. Well, John, if I could share a a little personal story or reflection uh, involving my own family. I think I I mentioned on one of our previous programs that my niece uh, was recently married back in May up in Maryland. She and her husband live in Denver, just outside of Denver, but they both grew up in Maryland, so that's where they went back to get married. I was glad that she decided she wanted to be married in the Catholic Church, but my niece, I would say, the practice of her faith was maybe a little spotty. Is that (laughs) fair enough? But I have to say, she did share with me at one point that she really enjoyed the marriage preparation process and that it helped her greatly to grow in her understanding of our faith and of marriage. Uh, They had to do a weekend retreat as part of that experience. And so she really, I, I think, somebody that probably looked at it as an obligation or a burden initially, but in the end, she saw it as a great benefit. Switching gears now, summer projects take place throughout our diocese. And up in Pasco and Hernando County, we just completed the Good Samaritan Project. About 300 kids participated, did a lot of great things up there. Yeah, what a wonderful program and ministry that is for the youth here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg. It predates my arrival here as bishop, but it really engages our uh, teens, I think mostly our, our high school students, in a week of prayer of liturgy because they do celebrate the Mass, I believe, every day. But also they go out during the day to various locations, different ministries, outreach centers, to people that are less fortunate or poor. They do projects around the house. They paint, they clean up, they trim bushes, they <laughs> do whatever they can do right. to make a difference. And it, I think it teaches them a valuable lesson that it's not all about us, right? That that it's in giving, as you know, we attest to St. Francis, it's in giving that we receive. But they also have a lot of fun. Like sure. when they get back at the end of the day, they usually have an evening program, which is a lot of fun. A lot of parishes will do overseas retreats and do and mission trips. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done right here. And these kids here in, in the Bay Area, especially in those northern counties, really shined. And even a couple of them, from what I understand, one was wanting a baptism. Uh, and another uh, wanted to come into full communion with the church. Yeah, it can be a a life-changing week, similar to when a a teen or an adult goes on a retreat. And they have a very intense experience of God's love, of his mercy, and it changes their life. And the hope with the Good Samaritan Project is not only that they have a good time and get the service hours and so forth in, but that it sets a foundation for a life of serving others, and hopefully through ministry in the Catholic Church. When you were a kid, did they have anything like this? No, they sure didn't. I know at my parish growing up, we supported uh, dioceses around the world in different countries, but I don't ever recall there being mission trips and uh, nothing locally. Now, there may have been. I, maybe I just, just don't didn't. remember. Right, yeah. right. Have you ever been on a mission trip at all overseas, even as an adult? Not specifically for mission, like, for example, going to uh, Haiti or to the Dominican Republic. 
you know, been very familiar with parish groups that go and, and so forth, but I've actually not had the opportunity to do that. I haven't either, and I've been I'm curious about it. Yeah, I was. I've never been, but I was pushing my daughter to go, so that you know, I you know, I can't go without her. You know. No, I understand. Well, maybe you could do it together. Yeah, John. maybe. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, recently, I saw that Pope Francis approved a miracle with Archbishop Fulton Sheen. What do you know about that? A little bit, uh, of course. Archbishop Sheen has been in the news quite a bit recently. There was, first of all, a battle uh, or a lawsuit which was taking place about where his body would be buried because he had originally been buried in New York, in the Archdiocese of New York. People say that that's where he wanted to be buried, but then his niece, a family member, insisted, you know, no, he he wanted to be buried in Peoria. Really? Yeah. So this actually um, went to uh, the civil courts. No. (laughs) I don't think it was, you know, Cardinal Dolan in New York bringing a lawsuit, but interested parties kind of battled this out in court. And and it was just decided, I would say less than a month ago, that his body would be transferred from New York, where it was, to a location in Peoria. And uh, regarding the miracle... I don't have all the details on that, but I understand. I believe it it had to do with a stillborn baby. A young boy that was born, stillborn in 2010, outside of Peoria. The child showed no signs of life as the medical professionals, you know, tried to revive him. The couple prayed to Archbishop Sheen and the child survived. Yeah, that, that's my understanding as well. And, uh, of course, miracles have to have some medical uh, documentation and attestation to them. So this thing has been totally investigated, and that's why uh, it's moving forward in that process of canonization. What do we consider a miracle? What is considered a miracle? I would say a easy definition would be something which um, totally is beyond human explanation. In other words, Something that should or shouldn't happen, but does or doesn't, you know? Like the Bucks winning a Super Bowl. <laughs> Although that did happen. Now, John, that, <laughs> how about the Bucks winning a Super Bowl this year? Right, exactly. <laughs> that might be considered a miracle, <laughs> right. but you never know. But anyway, so it's something that really defies human explanation. Most often it has to do with medical things. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody that is terminally ill, but through the intercession uh, of a particular saint, receives healing or recovers. That's a very common uh, way that uh, those miracles occur. Now, some people, uh, non-Catholics, would say, well, we're not supposed to pray to the dead. We're not supposed to pray to saints. The church has a different perspective. Sure. I mean, we, we consider the saints to be friends of God. And the reason for that is because they are with the Lord in heaven. And being with the Lord and with God in heaven, we do believe in their intercessory prayers. They're kind of like our relatives. So, you know, sometimes we ask relatives for help with things. These are our spiritual family and spiritual relatives who have gone before us. And because of where they are, we believe that they can help us in our journey and in our cause. Do you have any idea how many miracles, uh, I'm sure there's probably a caseload at the, at, the, at the Vatican, how often these may come through, and do they have to come through your office locally first? Yeah, so miracles, or um, I'm sorry, uh, causes for sainthood is right where it would start okay. after a miracle, but, but a cause for canonization or sainthood would begin at the diocesan level. 
and it would be evaluated and investigated at that level. There's testimony and documents and all kinds of information that have to be compiled, medical records if it involves a healing. And then ultimately that would be sent to the Congregation for Saints in Rome for further evaluation. Of course, the other way that somebody could become a saint is through martyrdom. If they died out of uh, somebody's hatred for the faith uh, and they were martyred because of their beliefs, they could also be canonized as a saint. You mentioned uh, how many cases are there. I don't know. I might be able to find out because when I go over to Rome in February of next year for our Ad Limina visit, and maybe we'll talk more about that at some point, we visit the different congregations in Rome. And one of the ones that I'm scheduled to visit is the Congregation for Causes of Saints, because we do have a case here in Florida with the Florida Martyrs. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I want to follow up on that. But I'll see if I can ask him that question, John. So, so for our listeners, uh, if you have a question that you would like to take to the Vatican, <laughs> you can email us at contact at myspiritfm.com, and we'll try to, if we can't answer it here, we'll take it up to the next level. Well, we'll try. No well, guarantees, that's, that's right. but... No uh, guarantee. It'll be a miracle if it's answered. <laughs> Very good. Well, as we wrap up our program today, would you lead us in a prayer for us to recognize those little God miracles that we have in our life every day? Sure. So let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the gift of our lives. We thank you for your presence in our lives and in our world. We pray that we may have the strength and the courage to recognize you in creation and in our relations and interaction with one another. May we experience your love and mercy through our love and mercy towards others. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org slash bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual pastoral appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.